0: Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett and I'm your host. Richard Mercer is a grief counselor who has gained a lot of experience working with hospice patients and their families over the years. However, while his focus has been on human loss, in recent years he has also started facilitating a pet loss support group. Through that process, he has learned about the overlaps and differences within what makes those types of grief different. Over time, he has figured out an approach to helping those grieving move forward. Before the show starts, I want to direct you to our online merch store with items that emphasize life is truly better with a dog. To get 10% off your order, Go to dogsavethepeople.com slash shop and enter promo code DOGPEOPLE10 at checkout. That's 10% off any t-shirts, hats, or sweatshirts when you go to dogsavethepeople.com slash shop and enter promo code DOGPEOPLE10 at checkout. Now, back to the show. Richard, welcome to Dog Save the People. I'm so thrilled to have you. And we were speaking before the recording started about your work. And I feel like everybody is going to get so much from this conversation because we are all dealing at some time in our life with loss. And I feel like this is such a universal topic and yet a topic that is in many cultures not talked about enough and I'm so thrilled to have you here today.
1: Thank you, John. I'm really excited.
0: So Richard, your work as a grief counselor also started to introduce you to the idea of working with people who had lost their pets. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that came to be and what that experience is like?
1: So how I got into doing this with the Pet Loss Support Group through the Humane Society, I was invited to be on a panel at a local theater Following the movie Truman, about the man with his bull mastiff, and he had cancer, he was dying, and he wanted to find the person that would take over his dog. Anyway, wonderful movie. I was on the stage with two other people. One woman was from the Conversation Project, an amazing project. And then there was a woman, Karen DeClerc, who is a local counselor. She was doing the Pet loss Support Group at the time. And so... All of us were speaking, and I really took an interest in what Karen was doing and got back to work the next week. I thought, wait a minute, I want to do this. I like what she's doing. She let me in. We were co-facilitating for a while, and I wasn't sure why she did this. But then one of the meetings, she said, Richard, I want you to run the meeting today. And afterwards, she said, "Okay, it's time for me to leave. I'm going to go other directions. I'm going to start a new life professionally. And I took over the group. I was intimidated at first. I'd been facilitating human loss groups for years. I didn't know what I would find in that. And even the language, do I say owner? Do I say companion? Is it my pet? All of the different things. So what I found was that the grief was very much the same, only sometimes complicated by the phrases, and you've read this, you've seen this, heard this. It was just a dog. Move on. Get another one. And I understand get another one. It's embarrassing to admit, but I was there. I was seeking comfort, and I knew better not to do that. It wasn't right for me. But there is that. And then there is this idea of disenfranchised grief, that there aren't as many places for people to go to and get the support people who are oftentimes feeling alone then finding that connection with others so this one woman she said i've got a friend my best friend does not understand human animal connections what she understands is the broken heart and she shows up for that and that's really what i see in this group it's just incredible and we have people who have been there for many years after their loss, and not because they need to keep showing up. They like the community. They like showing up and supporting others. And it's not giving advice. It's being present.
0: I'm really glad that you brought up this idea of people in our lives who don't understand the human-animal connection. And I hear this all the time. Oh, it was just a dog. Why are you so upset? Go get another one. And then you also brought up about your own experience, about that timing or thinking about replacing who is leaving or who left. And some people feel like, oh, I can't, I've got to wait. And some people run out and get one right away. Some people say, I can never do this again because I don't want to feel this way ever again. And my feeling is sometimes it's really important to take that time, of course, and grieve. And yet working in rescue, I always think that there are so many dogs just waiting. And sometimes that is the greatest medicine is to just go back and give back, but we all have to listen to ourselves and listen to what's going on inside about what that timing feels like.
1: Yeah, sometimes I'll see a couple show up to the group. One half they're ready and the other one isn't. So sometimes there's that conflict. I know you're not ready and I really need something to fill my heart again. Everybody grieves differently. The timing is different. And in grief, there's a model where they talk about meaning reconstruction who am i now what do i value why am i alive do i have any reason to continue we start finding meaning in all kinds of ways i had a human loss client who had a special needs dog said that they were the only reason that she was alive that she had someone to care for and oftentimes that's what i see in this work too when we're grieving when we're able to step outside of ourselves when we have a responsibility for something else that really matters to us. Then we find resources that we didn't know were there, parts of ourselves that are strengths that had gone dormant because we have had to shut down in many ways. We didn't have the capacity to hold much beyond our own grief. Once we start sharing our hearts in that way, then something happens. I think that's another element of healing there that happens. So this meaning reconstruction, I can very much see that as we bring something else into our lives. And for those of us that are so connected to animals, doing that, whether we're fostering or whatever it is.
0: Richard, I love that you brought up this idea and that you had a client who had animals in their lives and they were going through loss and grief and how they basically had to show up for their animals. Six and a half years ago, losing my husband, At that time, I had three dogs, and it was a lot. It was a lot to take care of during his illness, and then when he passed, it was a lot. And yet, it was a huge part of my healing and a huge part of my bereavement work. And I really believe that they knew something was going on, and they helped me through my first year. I was living up in the country at the time, and there was a beautiful trail at the end of my road. And every morning, the two big ones would stand by my bed when I could barely pull myself out of bed and just bark until I got out of bed and they were saying, let's go. And we would go on this Appalachian trail every day. I just could barely keep myself together, but I built up strength and I built up endurance and they were just right there by my side. And what was beautiful is that because of these walks, I was able to experience all four seasons of the year and I was able to really engage my own. Grief and bereavement and recovery from that. The big story
1: that's out there by Emmet McGivney, who I know that you have interviewed. She published the article in Outside magazine about her dog Sonny, who she estimated she hiked with between 12 and 15,000 miles.
0: Yes, thank you for mentioning Annette. We spoke a while ago and I loved hearing about her story with Sonny and how nature has really helped her to heal and to grow.
1: Sunny was such a healing element for her.
0: So I have two dogs right now, and one of them is a senior Bernese Mountain Dog. And Bernese Mountain Dogs do not live super long lives compared to a lot of other dogs. And all of burners that I've known have lived to about nine. His name is Hug, Hug is about nine and a half. And over the past few years, he's had a lot of neurological damage his legs are starting to fail him. And alongside that, I have an aging parent. And I was speaking with a friend of mine who has a lot of animals and as well an aging parent. And we were both saying about how there's just this feeling of it's almost like a cloud that's over us of imminent loss. And yet, I think there's a way to reframe that. And it's not something that is specific to my life or to her life but it's something that feels very prevalent. And I would love if you have any thoughts about how to reframe that because it feels like Hug is in his last year and there is just the idea of aging parents and how to navigate that and also the connection with our own mortality.
1: Yeah. Wow. Huge question. And that just brings me to my Susie. She was an amazing dog and she got diagnosed with Diabetes, she ended up going blind and then I could see signs of her end approaching. And I was asking myself the same question. What do I do with this limited time? How do I take all of this in? And that was a good practice for me. I mean, there are so many dimensions to this. Even this idea of raising our awareness of our own mortality. About a month ago, my aunt died. She had always been a dancer, loved big band music, and my aunt had taught jazzercise for many years. When I got the word that she died, I kicked on some band music. And I felt vitality. I felt her so alive. And so your original question, that I think, brought all of this up, what do you do with this relationship now? And all I can say is, yeah, be present. That connection, that love, a big part of our healing is the meaning reconstruction. We create the enduring relationship. And even after they die, how do we remember them? How do we experience them? What do we recognize as the influences they had on us, we had on them? What did we learn about our own mortality from them, our own love from them? And so that's a big piece. I think one suggestion would be do a life review. Explore the stories, even while Hug is still alive. And journaling, engaging in all the ways that you can, that's important. One thing that I have found in grief is have some kind of form that can hold our experience. That form can be a religious belief system. It could be a worldview, a philosophy. It could be a psychology. And I think this is what I notice with clients, with groups, when they're given something that not only normalizes their experience, but also gives them something to say, oh, this is a thing. We talked about disenfranchised grief. The sigh that happens when people say, oh, I'm not alone. We can go in there and just really open up where we can feel a belonging or where we could frame our experience of grieving is important. And there are different dimensions of grief. There's the emotional, the spiritual, behavioral, and so on. And within those, we have a broad array of the emotions that can come up. Sometimes the emotions are sadness, it's depression, it's anger. Sometimes it's joy, relief, renewal, these different things that come up. One group member said she realized that grief is not only a healing process, but it's a practice.
0: Yes, I agree. I think grief is an ongoing process that you always have to be actively working on. Now, I know another approach to grieving is the dual processing model. Could you please break down how that works, kind of explain the different stages?
1: There are four tasks. The very first one is coming to the reality of the loss, that this has happened. Now, even though we can show up and we can say my loved one died, there can still be that protective coping mechanism. We don't have the capacity yet to hold the whole thing. So this is where we can become forgetful. This is where we can have the brain fog or disconnects. It could just be too much. It could be traumatizing. There are also writings from a woman named Mary Frances O'Connor. She wrote a book called The Grieving Brain, where she explains this at a neurological level. I know that my dog has died, yet when I come to that front door, I feel it when he or she doesn't come to the door. So I can say they died, yet the reality is my heart catching up with my head. I'm longing for them. I'm reaching out for them. Second task is coming to experience the emotions that come up with that. Both of those one and two are a part of loss orientation. That's where we're working with the loss. Three and four are where we start recreating ourselves. Three, a lot of it is who am I now? What are the roles that I was playing then and now family structure changes, social network changes, all of this, and its adaptation in that. The fourth one is the big one. And all of these start at the same time. All of these start in the beginning. The fourth one is that enduring relationship. And what I hope when people say you will grieve forever is that they're not saying we'll be in the fetal position for the rest of our days, but that we will be remembering them. We will be influenced by them. And so what are the stories that we carry forward? This is why we have memorials. This is why we have all kinds of things where we come together and we share the stories.
0: I thank you for that. I love this idea of creating a new relationship through storytelling and remembrance and ritual, and then that can continue for the rest of our lives. It can be very enriching. I have a real soul dog whose name is Tiny Tim who died, gosh, 12 plus years ago, but he was my guy. And Somebody just sent me a picture recently of me and Tiny Tim from 20 years ago and it brought back so much. And I think about Tiny Tim all the time. And to me, he lives curled up in my heart. Beautiful. So it's interesting. When my husband did die, I reached out to the local LGBT center and I'm like, do you all have a bereavement group? And they're like, no, it was very hard to find one. There's not a lot of bereavement support for gay men losing their partners. And in the last year, a friend of mine, who's also a widower and I started a bereavement group for men in New York City, and it's been really profound. We try to meet every couple of months just to check in and something that we can obviously learn from and then start to share and help others. So I just applaud your work. Thank you. And so Richard, to wrap things up, can you tell us where we can find you online and social media, and if you have any recommendations for people Who are looking for bereavement work with regards to their pets
1: in the beginning what i have to tell people in the group is this is not counseling it's not therapy i would be acting completely differently if i was there as a counselor it's a support group and what that really means is that the power is in the group itself i'm there to hold the structure that's it everybody else starts engaging amazing how much healing can happen when hearts come together so whether you join us or find another, do it. Go out. Find the ones that you can speak to. If you Google Richard Mercer, Pet Loss, it will show up. One is through the Humane Society of Boulder Valley, and the other is the Argus Institute. And my email address is Richard Mercer, M-E-R-C-E-R, at org. Our group used to be Relatively small. And then the pandemic came in, we went strictly Zoom. And now that we're back, we're keeping the Zoom sessions going. And this makes it possible for people from Florida, New Hampshire, Texas to join us. And the group is now averaging about 20 people per meeting. We also have a hiking group, of course, strictly in person. That's once a month we go out. It's a lighter group where people can just either talk about their loss or just be present with others who are grieving. So the one thing I'll say is people are welcome to join us. And this is my passion. I'll tell everybody there is no cost for this. Sometimes if people need a conversation, then we can talk on the phone and have a conversation. Oftentimes, I think what people need is just a quick grounding. I would recommend step into a community. There are other pet loss support groups. Find them. Even if you think you're not a group person, step in.
0: Richard? Again, I'm so thrilled to speak to you on this very important subject, and it's something that touches all of us, and I'm very inspired by your work. So thank you for joining us today.
1: And thank you for the invitation, and I really respect you. I respect what you're doing. Thank you very much, John.
0: It was very insightful to speak with Richard and to get his perspective on how we can look and think about loss, healing, and the mortality of ourselves or those we love, including our dogs. And as Richard had said, there's a lot of people in our families or around us who may just think, oh, it's just a dog, but really a loss of a pet is so profound. They really are our best friend. They are our companion, our family. People don't always know what to do with their grief. So to have the tools and to have the guidance and the support to be able to grieve and to feel validated in our thoughts and our feelings, is such important work. And I'm so grateful to Richard for creating this space. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.